Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles for one last time, and we're going to the book of Philippians. I have loved this. I'm a little, I'm a little not wanting this letter to end. You know, I could probably stretch out these last three verses for a while, but we're actually, uh, God willing, we're going to land this letter today, and I trust that for the rest of our lives, we have been given by the Holy Spirit, through the word of the living God, exactly what we need to live with unbreakable joy through every season, even facing death, to have invincible, unbreakable, there's a lot of adjectives we could use there, everlasting joy. Amen? Maybe you remember a time when you were a child. I don't know. How many of you have siblings? Raise your hand if you have siblings. You ever get into an argument with a sibling? Maybe you've had children, and they get into it, and then maybe you're a teacher, you know, or whatever your field might be, and you remember as a child, or you remember dealing with kids, and there's been a fallout. There's been something go wrong, and you work it out, and then the kids are facing off at the end, and and you get to the point where you're telling them, now say you're sorry, you know, and then you're watching, did we get anywhere in this conversation? Like, is, is it going to be a genuine, I'm sorry, or is it going to be, I'm sorry, you know, what do I got to say to get out of this uncomfortable moment? And they square off, and then you're looking for the heart to be portrayed physically through a hug, something that is like, you know, kiss and make up, like make it right, get it together. That's where we're going in, in the end of this letter Paul is writing, and he's been so concerned about these people that he loves so dearly, especially those two ladies in the church that are needing to have this letter come to an end, and then they need to kiss and make up. You know, Middle Eastern, that greeting. And Paul expects that. Understand this, I've said it many times, and I will say it, if the Lord allows, many times more. Forgiveness only requires one person. Everybody say, one person. Restoration requires both parties, all right? Both people. So you can forgive that person that wronged you, whether they ever come back and say, please, for, please forgive me. You can forgive them. But for that relationship to be restored, it has to be two parties, two people, two groups coming together to work it out and then to embrace and say, I forgive you, you forgive me, and let's work this out. Let's walk together. Paul absolutely expected full restoration to happen. As he writes this letter, he's expecting them Any good parent or guardian or pastor is watching over relationships to say, how will this be resolved? Maybe you were raised in an environment where everything just kind of got swept under the, the rug. Well, you can put a little bit under the rug, but after a while, if you come in and the pulpit is looking like this, you're like, what's going on here? 
you know, what's under the rug? What's happening? You know, if I set my Bible down, it just falls over. Something's not right. Well, as painful it might be, as it might be, we need to get into that and look at that through the lens of Scripture and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and address those issues and how do we learn to grow together and work it out. This is where our hearts are shaped. This is when we really desire to work it out. We're just not wanting to say, all right, I'm all done, and I, I, fine, whatever. You ever ended a discussion that way? You know, boy, we really accomplished a lot if you get to the end of it. Fine, whatever. Oh, okay. That was good. You know, it just dropped like, you know, off the end of your face. That was it. It's done. So he's expecting everyone in this church to greet everyone in the church. They probably would enter into a time of communion, maybe sing a song of thanksgiving, and then he expected everybody to greet everybody. Every single person greet every single person. And I would love to have been a fly on the wall to wonder what happened there. Because you understand, it could be the tension still there between the ladies. You know, that icy, we got mentioned in the letter. <laughs> yeah, you did too. Or there could be this moment of great release. I'm so sorry. Yeah, me too. How did we forget Jesus so miserably? I don't know. And everyone around, whoa, <laughs> whoa. And families re-embrace, and it's under the blood of Jesus and let's walk in life together. So really, if you want to add something on, I didn't print it, farewell and amen. Now go kiss and make up, you know? That's the idea. Now go make it right. Philippians chapter 4, verse 20. You remember I saved this verse for this week. Could have read it with last week, could have done it. But it, all of this giving, all of the need, all of the receiving, all of this back and forth, it's all ours in Christ Jesus. He has everything we need. Verse 20, Paul says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Is that the end of his letter? Oh, no. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, amen. So this is Paul's conclusion. This is his benediction. He's writing to every single person in that church, every saint. And understand, I know some of you were raised in backgrounds where you were taught that a saint is somebody in the afterlife. A saint is someone who they died and there's certain things, uh, qualifications that they met. That's just a problem with the scriptures because Paul is not writing to dead people. He didn't write Romans to dead people. Philippians are very well alive and they're not acting very saintly. 
The word saint, it comes from hagios. It means to be set apart. It means it's, there's a discerning set apart from the world for the glory of God, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so these are saints in Christ Jesus. They're holy ones, not because of anything they have done. And if you're in Christ, it's not because of anything you have done. It's because what he has done for you, in you, and then now finally good works can be produced through you because he's doing it not you and not me. That's what makes it good. So his final benediction, his final prayer for these people, to those believers, to Christians, is I want you to live to the glory of God. And we see that in verse 20. Live to the glory of God. That'll come on the screen. It's vertical. This is where he's saying, live your life vertically because that's where it's all going. The chief end of man, Westminster, Westminster Confession says, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's the reason why you're here. You're made in the image of God to make much of God and to enjoy him forever. Whether you knew that or not, now you know that. So your purpose is not defined by your education, your background, your ethnicity, your intelligence. No, you're made in the image of God, therefore you are valuable. Christ died for you. And your chief end, your chief purpose is to, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There is no greater purpose. There is no lasting purpose than this. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is saying, and I want this to be true of my life. I want that to be true of our lives, that we will glorify our heavenly Father, that we will make much of our heavenly Father. Let us glorify our heavenly Father. You understand that I cannot make much of myself and much of Christ, much of God at the same time. I can't elevate me and elevate God simultaneously. It's a choice. John the Baptist was faced with that. Hey, you see all your disciples are going and following Jesus of Nazareth? He said, I'm okay with that. He must increase. I must down with me. Up with Jesus, down with me. You see, our Father in heaven is good, and I say it every time we come up to this, none of us who are human fathers are intrinsically good. None of us are without failures. None of us were without difficult relationships, even in our own families and homes that we have to work through. None of us were raised by a perfect father. None of us have a father that is immortal forever and will live forever and is all we ever need. Even if you had a wonderful father, he was such a great father, he did everything, but he's not immortal and so all of, the, all of the language of Scripture points us to a Father in heaven, even from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Old Testament, God, he, he communicated himself to his people as a father through the prophet Malachi 1.6. He said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, hey, my people, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests 
who despise my name. But then there are the priests. How have we despised your name? How have we, how have we abused your name? How have we blasphemed your name? How have we made a mockery of your name? And then the Lord would go on to tell them. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And he brought this into the New Testament that we have a Father in heaven, that our only access to this Father in heaven who is unfailing is through the Son, through Jesus Christ. Jesus made that abundantly clear in John 14 and verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's one way. We don't go through a human being to get to the Father in heaven. We go through Jesus, the God-man. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and he says this about prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's it. Man, that was such a nice prayer. Look at that guy praying. There's their reward. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father, there it is, who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words saying the same things over and over and over and over and over again. Such as, say these many Hail Marys or say these many prayers. And Jesus absolutely condemns that, forbids that. Do, verse 8, not be like them. Well, why not? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. You're not talking to someone who forgets, like me, I forget. My wife has to text me the list at the grocery store. I get there like, ah, I forgot it. No, the Father in heaven, he knows what we need. Well, then why do we even need to pray? And then Jesus gives the pattern for prayer. So again, he didn't give the Lord's prayer the disciples' prayer. He didn't give that for us to just go through it in a rote way and just run through it every time we meet, just go through it to where it's just these words coming off our tongues that we have long since forgotten to follow in pattern of our prayer lives. Pray then like this. Read this out loud with me, but we're not gonna go through it rapidly, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Jesus says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you, my people, my disciples, followers of Christ, believers, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you think forgiveness is a big deal to God? Do you think it is okay to just keep lists on people and here's a person outside of my realm of forgiveness, I will not forgive them? then you're the one in prison and you're the one in disobedience and you're the one cutting off the free mercy of God through Christ that will forgive you. Let us glorify our Father. He's in heaven. And by the way, he will be glorified both now and forever. That's what Paul is saying. The question is not, will he be glorified? The question is, will my voice, my life, my one momentary life be added into that which is the only thing that will last forever? Or will I waste my life? What truly glorifies the Father in heaven both now and forever? Well, when prayer is offered in accordance with the character of Jesus, his son, that glorifies the Father in heaven. John 14 and verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this is what Jesus says, this I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, that tempers our prayers. What am I asking for? Does it fit with the character of Christ? And Jesus says, I'll do it. And I'll do it so that the Father is glorified in the Son. When disciples abide in Christ and bear much fruit through loving obedience, this glorifies the Father in heaven, Jesus says in John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, that you bear much fruit. That glorifies the Lord. Look at that. There is disciples and they're bearing fruit, even much fruit. Suffering. Suffering leads to a powerful gospel witness. When we're not cursing God and we're going through difficult times, losing a job, difficulty in relationships, difficulty in health, and we're blessing like Job did, we bless the Lord, that glorifies God. Matthew 5, 16, in the middle of the context of suffering, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father and where is this father? He's in heaven. Why, why aren't you cursing God? Why are you still singing? Why are you still praying? Why are you still opening you, your Bible? Because he's good, and I deserved hell. And he forgave me, and he'll forgive you. <laughs> Unity among believers. Unity that is peacemakers, not characterized by unrighteousness. What do we got to do to get along with everybody? That's peace faking. Oh, we just tell it like it is and we make nasty signs and we go protest people. Oh, peace breakers. No, no, no. Peacemakers. What does that look like? Romans 15. This is what Paul prayed over the believers in Rome. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Okay, so you see it right there. Some of you are musicians and you set that first chord, that first note, that's Jesus. And then everything else needs to take its cue from Jesus. And when everybody is looking to Jesus, that's when a church stays on the line of truth and grace and mercy. Whenever it's, let's, let's tune to this and let's tune to this, now suddenly we don't match the original. We don't tune ourselves to culture. No way. No way. 
And why does he say this? Verse 6, that together, okay, there's the unity, there's that blending, the harmony, you may with one voice, all diff- we all look different, different ages, different backgrounds, but with one voice we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Oh, that God would make us, keep us, that we forever would be a church, that we have arms wide open no matter who you are, where you're from, where you're from, what you believe. The Lord will meet you there. He will save you, and he will live in you, and then he will take you where he wants you to be. That's Philippians 1.6. He won't leave you, but salute one another. You see, that's the value that you give. This is what Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And where does this all go to? This is how he opened the letter, to the glory and praise of God. Live to the praise of his glorious grace. And you say, well, how, how many things can we go through that, that we should be living to the glory of God? Well, let's just wrap it all up with number five. Everything great and small can be done to the glory of God. Well, where, what verse is this? First Corinthians 10, 30, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what do you fit in whatever you do? <laughs> that's mowing grass. That's this afternoon, serving at the park, nursery, kids' ministry. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. And Paul says here, let us glorify our heavenly Father, and he will be glorified both now and forever. And then he just puts in here a final Amen. All right, this is just a let it be so. So be it. Uh, let me add my stamp of approval. Not that he needs it, all right? The Lord isn't, how does that look, wise? Do you sign off on that? No, he doesn't need that. N- not from us. But I want to add my voice, I want to add my worship to this glorious God and Savior King. Are we as concerned as we should be? as a church about glorifying God, I know we have it in our purpose statement. But you can have it written down and it not make a hill of beans different in how you treat one another. Are we fully committed to this? Are we rightly reflecting the glory of God wherever we go? What does daily look like life look like for us as a church if we truly want to glorify God, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, let's do all to the glory. What does that look like? What does it look like for you and for me to be like John the Baptist saying he must increase and I must decrease? Do, do you really? I don't like that. I don't like when other people are advanced and I, well, I was right there and I'm like, there's the picture and I'm over here. You know, you miss me. <laughs> I was there. Or, or something is done and people say, hey, we want to thank everybody for, you know, whatever. Fixing the chimney next door, go through a list, and, and what if your name gets left out? Who enjoys that? 
I'm going to go get those pieces of plastic off that I put, the vinyl I, that I put on, I'm taking it off. You're not going to mention my name. <sighs> I was there. Think about it. This, this comes down into our family life, our relationships. Well, I helped too. I, I did that too. How, how silly are we? We have to have the, the attaboy, the pat on the back, or, or what, we're not going to do the next thing the next time? Why do, you, why do we do what we do? And the Lord tests me in this in many different ways. Why do you do what you do, wise? Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 115 and verse 1. Will you read this with me? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You see how the psalmist had to say, I know I said it once, but I'm going to have to preach this to my heart again because old me just wants to get up there and say, tell me I did great. How concerned are we about the glory of God? Or how concerned are we about our own glory, our own name, our own reputation? How can we stir one another up for the glory of God? And we know, loved ones, according to the word of God, this is eternally worthwhile when we stir one another up in love and good works. This is what John Piper said in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He said, writing to the next generation, okay, he's saying, hey, young people, listen to me. People who are coming behind me in years, which there's more of you now than there used to be when I started here, all right, he says, but whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live for it and die for it. And you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. All other lives are wasted. Oh, loved ones, let's not waste our lives. Don't waste your life. Number two, let's live for the good of all peoples. This is how we don't waste our lives. We live to the glory of God, and we will live for the good of all peoples. This is what Paul wants from these Philippians. So their vertical relationship being restored, being right with God because of Jesus, it will play out. It will affect their horizontal relationships. Now, this is kind of like a P.S. that we would put on our letters. You know, oh, P.S., don't forget to whatever. Paul puts this here. Usually this is the introductions to our letters. Hey, greetings. I'm writing and this is writing and tell everybody hello. But he's using this in a very purposeful way at the end of the letter. You might say salutations. That makes me think of Charlotte's Web, you know, the movie, salutations. Okay, over and over, salutations. It's, it's honor, it's, it's greetings. Very common in the Middle East. They would often be very long and drawn out. And Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. This is not just saying, howdy, you know, hello, what's up? No, no. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So what is Paul, what is he after here? He's saying, I want you to share the love of Christ with every saint, okay? And the big idea is every single saint, this is not just a final benediction, hey, uh, greetings, everybody, you know, greetings. 
No, no, no. This is going to take a little bit of time when the letter is finished for every person to not just run out the door, but to actually pause for a moment and look around and say, who has God placed here next to me? I will greet them. It starts at home, starts in our own families that we aren't you know, nice to everybody else and unkind to the people that bear our own name. We just take them for granted so easily. It extends to believers around the globe. So Paul is saying to the church members, I want you to greet, I want you to salute every single saint, not just the ones that you get along with, not just the ones that, you know, you, you have the similar hobbies and you do the same. No, no, greet every single saint. And hey, Yodia and Syntyche, it's time for you to, what I told you earlier, agree in the Lord, right? Go, now. Like, get on it right now. And I don't know if the other people help them work it out. If there was ushers at the door, like, you can't leave. You got, you got to greet. I don't know what that looked like. I'll find out one day. You know. <laughs> don't hold love and kindness back. Oh, church, in our relationships, may the Lord help you and help me and help us to work out conflict quickly. Don't let it sit and simmer and build and then we do well on it and we start thinking of more. Oh, and they said this and they did that and I'm sure they meant this and I'm sure they meant that. That will ruin relationships. That will discard people throughout your life in your wake. There will be broken relationships everywhere we go. And it's even worse when people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, it doesn't look like Jesus. He didn't do that. In, 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 earlier in chapter 4, up there in verse 3, he said, hey, by the way, you are saints. Your names are written in the book of life. We're in the same book. We're headed to the same place. Hey, act like it. Balance the checkbook. Let's get you, your life, your relationships reconciled the way God has reconciled you to himself through Jesus and it required his life. You need to act like what you are. You need to get your identity from Christ, not from anywhere else. And that will put you on the level of humility and grace and mercy that you can show to your wife and to your children and to your siblings and to your parents. You know how easy it is for us to get in that judge's seat, like Romans 1 and 2? You who judge, do you keep your own law? Oh, let's not talk about that. I said I was gonna, you know, exercise, do this, do that. Yeah, abandon that in two days. But you said you were gonna, whatever. Uh-huh. Hypocrite. Our identity in Christ, it ought to impact our overall behavior. This is what Paul wrote to the Galatians. Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to, how many people are we looking to do good for? Everyone. And especially start at home to those who are of the household of faith, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people that you live with, you go through life with, start there. Love them, do good for them, look for opportunities. Hey, can I encourage you in that? Even children around your house, 
will you look for ways that you can do good for mom and dad, for grandma and grandpa, for your aunt and uncle? Stop, stop living life self-centeredly. What can they do for me? Start living with this. Look, how can you, if you belong to Christ, how can I be used to serve others? What can I do? It's a very different countercultural way to live in the selfie age that we live in. Then Paul says it this way, receive the love and greetings of distant brothers. You've got some family far away and they're greeting you. They don't really know you that well, but they're greeting you. They're sending their kindness to you. They're thinking of you. So Paul is passing along these, these, th these thoughts of kindness, these feelings, these words of love. These are from the fellow believers that were with him, probably in Rome where he's in prison. Paul's life and ministry were devoted to making much of Christ, making much of the gospel. He always was elevating others, not himself. He did everything to dissolve the one-man band kind of idea of ministry. A one-man show, I'm the guy. Where's my green room? You know, get my water cooled to the right temperature and then I am the Apostle Paul afterwards. I have been in heaven, I've seen Jesus in visions and you have, that's what I thought, get my water ready and wash my feet while you're at it. That wasn't Paul at all. He knew John 13. He washed our feet. So I will live, I will serve, and he can throw me away when he's done with me because that just is taking me to heaven with him in glory. That's not a bad deal. In Romans 16, Paul closes out his letter, and the whole 16 first verses of that chapter, it's just a complete thank you list. You can just write that down, Romans 16. You just read. He's thankful for this one and thankful for that one. Perhaps some of those brothers are there and he's writing them saying, hey, these brothers, they're greeting you. Maybe some of their names are in that Romans 16. In Philippians 4, he gives a summary that we studied in this chapter. Therefore, my brothers whom I love, I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved and he goes through this whole, in, I, I entreat Yodia and Sintiki, agree in the Lord, yes. I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul is always thinking of others. So he's sending greetings from these brothers. Their brothers, they're like brothers, back and forth. He's trying to grow by the Holy Spirit the love. And what was interesting is on Wednesday afternoon, Stephen was uh, sitting at my desk and we were talking about this message and we were talking about this point right here. And, and all of a sudden on my screen came a bing, a message. And it'll come up on the screen. All right, th this is uh, when I was, well, is there a whole picture of Africa? Did he put the whole thing in there? All right, this is all the guys in Africa. And you see the guy at the right-hand side doing, raising his hand, waving his hand? What do you think he's doing right there? Greetings. <laughs> I salute you, okay? He's like, hello. You know, thanks for sending your pastor. And through him, you can find me. Where's Waldo? I'm in there somewhere, right? We're sending back love to you. You know, so, some of the guys have been from our church to there. The next picture is this. I saw this one. I wasn't really looking for this one. Do you see what this brother is doing? He's saluting. He's greeting. 
It, it's, it's heart. Like it's more than just a handshake. And we had, they, got, they got a great handshake. I, 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 rem, I remembered it this time. I had forgotten it. You know, and they started shaking my hand. I was like, oh, I forgot it. Got to get my mind back into the handshake. But before he leaves, they're getting ready to go get on that bus. He is saluting. And then while I was at the desk, uh, the next picture, Nelson, bing, do you see the timestamp on there? This is Wednesday afternoon, message comes up, and Pastor Wise, how are you and the family? Greetings. That's Nelson. Uh, Stephen and Nelson, they did some welding in that room right there. We went there, all right? Stephen was there. Nelson, like, hey, send greetings to Stephen, right? Back and forth. I sent, I think, that picture uh, to Stephen. Like, he's sending greetings. You understand, we're connected to a body of believers around this planet. And how good and gracious is it that the Lord would have ding come up on my messenger at that very time? And I texted him back. I'm like, this is hilarious. I'm laughing. Stephen and I were laughing, like, no way. Unprompted. You know, it's been a few weeks since he sent me a message, and ding, hey, Pastor Wise, how are you, and how is your family? It's not just hello. It's greetings. We're part, and that's a distant brother to this church family that maybe you'll meet if you go with me sometime, or maybe for sure we'll meet in heaven one day. You'll be like, I saw your picture one day. You're Nelson. Good job welding, Right? for the glory of God. And look at letter C now. Behold the transforming power of the gospel. Because Paul, he started in and he's opening the landscape. He's opening the lens. He's allowing like these greetings and then there's the brothers. And then he says something that is just absolutely astounding. Because the gospel is changing the hearts and lives of people in Rome. The epicenter of the Roman Empire these people were used to saying, Caesar is Lord. And all of a sudden, here comes these ragtag band of believers who have no real earthly acclaim and hearts and lives are being changed. Paul now includes people that would be no-hopers. They were the impossible. Anybody you're praying for and you think, I don't know. I don't know if they can ever. I don't know if they'll ever. I can't that they're ever singing, worshiping next to me. Oh, Lord, I pray that, but I don't know if I can see it. Well, this is why this is in here. He said, all the saints greet you. All of them salute you. We're all praying for you. Sometimes people get upset when you tell them, that, hey, I'm praying for you. You know, that offends people. Like, hey, I don't need prayer. Pray for yourself, you know? No, they're, they're praying for you. Like, I want you to know we're praying for you. And like, if you're not lying, if you're actually praying for them, we're praying for you. We love to hear good results. But then he zeroes in and he says, actually, especially the people of Caesar's household. We, we read it in Philippians 1 when we studied it. It was a few weeks ago now when we were in Philippians 1. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, I'm in prison has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now he's saying, hey, I told you early on in the letter, I'm in prison and it's okay. God's using this imprisonment because the gospel is, it's permeated the whole palace guard. Like, hey, your turn to guard Paul. Oh, are you kidding me? Seriously? 
What's he going to talk about, Jesus? <sighs> Locked up next to him. How you doing, Paul? Hey, good. <laughs> oh, it's coming, right? And he would talk to him about Jesus. And one by one by one, they become followers of Christ. And like, well, I'm going to actually, it was my turn to serve, but why don't you go ahead and you go serve with them? Really? You're setting me up, aren't you? Yeah, you bet I am. He was telling everybody about this Jewish carpenter that was sinless, born of a virgin, and he was crucified. And the Romans knew all about crucifixion. They were good at it. They invented it. Horrific way to die. And then there was a Jewish carpenter they crucified, and he went into a tomb for three days, and he rose again, and he was seen by many eyewitnesses. And he changed the world. And now there's people that used to say Caesar is Lord, and now they're saying Jesus is Lord. What is this gospel? That's what Paul is saying. This gospel, have you forgotten this gospel that I came to town and God saved many of you and I was imprisoned and the earthquake and have you forgotten the power of this gospel? That was in Acts 16. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Remember, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Hey, but Timothy, don't you ever forget this. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God making its way into China and Indonesia and into North India and Afghanistan and Iraq and North Korea, it's unbound. It's... There's no human dictator that can shut down what God is doing. It's unbound. It's not chained. And there are many who are chained who are preaching the word. But when the word is let out, I think it was Spurgeon that said, you, you know, you don't have to defend a lion. Just let it loose. Like, you don't have to like, hey, I'm here. I'm going to take care of the lion. I'll, I got you. The lion's like, excuse me, I got it. That's what Spurgeon said. Just, just share it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So this is the evidence that Jesus is actually doing what he promised he would do in Matthew 16, 18. And he said it to Peter in the presence of the other apostles. He said, you are Peter and on this rock. Now, Peter's name is Little Pebble. And Jesus says on this rock, all right, on this truth, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. No Caesar no human ruler can prevail against the Lord completing his promise, I will build my church. So I pray that often, Lord. Keep doing what you're doing and build your church. And we're talking about not, it includes the place where we meet, but more importantly than that, it it's the people that Christ died for. It's you, your lives. May your lives not be built on shifting sand, sinking sand, but on the truth of Christ Jesus. And that leads us to this. Live in the grace of Christ Jesus our Lord. After all, that is our name, right? My name's Wise. That's not always an easy name to live up to. Our name is Grace. And I won't forgive them. Oh, okay. Hmm. I think you might need to get that dictionary out again. Check that word grace out one more time. Look that up. Let's work on that. Paul says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
but with you all. Repairing relationships and multiplying of disciples is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. Now he gets the internal. He started with the vertical. Then he moves to the horizontal. Now this moves in. If we're going to do anything, if I'm going to glorify God vertically, if I'm going to live in right relationships horizontally, I can't do it on my own. I don't have it. I'm absolutely and totally dependent on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so are you. He didn't just save me and now I've got it. No, I need him every moment, not just every hour. I need him. So Paul is saying, remember, remember, remember God's unmerited provision for you. Remember his provision for you. It was undeserved. It was unmerited. And it's his grace. Remember God's unmerited provision. It's from grace to grace. We never graduate from the school of God's grace. Paul opened the letter with a blessing. He ends with a blessing. It's his grace. Unmerited provision. His name is Jesus. There's an acronym that's helpful. Many of us learned it as children. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a helpful way to just, what is grace? It's the storehouse of heaven. It's all that God has. And how did it get to us? How did it come to me? Christ had to pick up the bill. He had to pay my tab, my fine, my penalty. It's what we studied earlier. He suffered hell for me so that I don't ever have to suffer separation from God and punishment for my sins because he was punished in my place. You know, John Newton you know, the author of Amazing Grace, the the picture of his tombstone, right there, his tombstone comes, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of the slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That's what led to amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. What's the second verse? Sing it with me. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already gone. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home.
Let's look to this day. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days. Sing God's praise. Then when we first begun. Do you remember his grace? Do you remember his grace? Have you received his grace? Have you experienced his grace? It abolishes the idea that I'll get it all together and then maybe he'll receive me. You can't. You cannot. So to dwell then in Christ's unfailing presence, that's what Paul says, remember his grace, and then I want you to abide in his presence. And his presence is unfailing. It won't fade away, and it is unfailing. Who else do you know like that? Not me. The spirit of Christ dwells in his people. Paul's life is wrapped up in Jesus. I would encourage you, John 15, meditate on that. And Jesus says in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, how much, what can we do? Nothing. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you. Why? That my unbreakable, unfailing joy may be in you and that your joy may be unsurpassed, overflowing, full, complete, 1517, these things I command you. Where does all of this joy come from? What does it do in us? And what's the point of it? Right there. Read it with me. These things I, Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Master, command you so that you will love one another. Wow. Why are they lacking joy in Philippi? Because they're not doing what Jesus said. Why might you and I be lacking joy in our lives? Because maybe we're not doing what Jesus said. Maybe we've forgotten his grace. Maybe we're not dwelling in his presence. And what are we going to do that's worthwhile eternally if we're not abiding in him? Oh, but Paul says, I want you to experience God's unparalleled power. He's going to bring his good work to completion in every single child of God from start to finish. It's all of God's grace. So, excuse me, by his grace, he has changed us. He is changing us. He will change us. By his grace, we will advance this gospel and we will see many other lives transformed from here to North India, to Romania, to Zambia, around the world. He is with us internally. He is with us individually. He is with us corporately. Oh, may the Lord help us. This is my prayer. This was Paul's prayer for those people. This is my prayer for my family, for my life, for you as a church. Oh, May you live to the glory of God. May you live for the good of all peoples. And may you live every day for the rest of your lives in the grace of Christ Jesus, our Lord. What's your next step? What's your next step to take this whole message of unbreakable joy and to embrace it, to take it to heart, and then to put it into life, to to live that out, to apply it? Will you take that step today? It's this, this closing of this letter, it reminds me when Moses was about to die and he writes and he, and he doesn't write, he preaches to his people, the children of Israel, choose life. 
I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. That's the whole of this message. Live to the glory of God. Because if you don't, there's only death. Live for the good of all peoples so that they may live and know this God. And oh, that we would live in the grace of Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you stand with me? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your, your grace, your amazing grace. No sweeter song, no sweeter lyric that you have saved a wretch like me and that you are ready, willing, and able to save anyone who is here without Christ today, right now, if they would but admit their sin, they have not been perfect, they have not been holy, and they would realize that Jesus is perfect, sinless, holy, and he is willing to save them. He was crucified, buried, and rose again, and he is ready to save. He's ready to receive sinners today, Lord. Oh, I pray that you would draw all men to yourself, all women, children, Lord, all ages, that we would see how beautiful you are and we would trust in you with all of our heart. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what you're doing in and through us. May we not forget to show grace. I'm not aware of relationships that are at odds in our church family, but Lord, you know all things. And so draw all the dross to the surface that we might confess and forsake it. That maybe even today, that after we say our final amen, maybe there's a relationship that needs to be addressed right now this afternoon, Lord, will you enable us to respond in obedience for all of our days to the glory and praise of our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.